0: Welcome to Into the Hobbyverse, a podcast dedicated to Marvel Crisis Protocol and the aspects of the hobby surrounding it. Uh, Our focus here is to discuss our experiences with hobbying and the game and to, you know, give advice to you, the listener, uh, to help you improve to where you want to be on your painting journey. I am Waxy Sandwich and I am joined by Moriartis. How's it going, buddy?
1: Pretty good. How are Uh, you? Not
0: too bad. Uh, I am... am, in the in the midst, in the thick of the the drudgery of of NMM with my sentinels, just a crushing Ooh. weight of of white and ice yellow is just it's getting to me, man.
1: Oh, I do not envy you. Right. I I got to do like a nice relaxing day all day yesterday of just painting a model, and uh, it's really fun when you can devote a whole day to that. So I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place. I'm I. I'm the yin to your yang in this case, I guess. Well,
0: it's nice when you when you spend the whole day hobbying on it, and then you have a finished model at the end. And I, you know, spent three hours, and you're like, "All right, I've done torso number one."
1: <laughs> right. Oh, I don't envy you.
0: Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I guess bl- blurring into the hobby catch up here. I I've, I have been working on my sentinels. I am. Um, so I, I feel I I've, I talked about this last time. I'm, I'm kind of Doing it where I'll do one section of one and then do the same section on the other one, just so I'm finishing them like side by side. And I'm not doing like layer one on A, layer one on B. I'm just doing the entire mm-hmm. section because I paint like an idiot and I, you know, finish all of one area before I move on. Um, but I'm doing that on the Sentinels and it seems to be going okay for me. So, so what I've done since the last time we talked is I think I had only done the faceplate. So I did the purple helmet. Um, I did some of the rubber bits uh, that are like kind of in that area. And I have fully done the torsos on both of the bottles. And I think just as far as like edious bits, I think that's about halfway done. But the legs kind of have a lot of stuff on them. So it might be a little bit under halfway done. Um, hmm. But that's where I am. Yeah, the, the torsos are fully completed front and back uh, on both the prime and the remaining standard Sentinel.
1: And do you find that uh, the kind of way you're tackling this with doing a, a piece of a model at a time on and you know f- go all the way from base coat to finish on a piece on one and then do the same thing on the same piece on the other do you find that's getting away from the kind of drawbacks we've discussed in the past about like assembly lining models
0: I think so yeah i mean i i'm not enjoying it as much i i i think that it is still because i have i, I okay well i think if you asked me that 4 years ago right or so when i was like starting to try to get better i think i would it would still kind of limit me from getting like improving especially because if i were doing this on 10 models right i think that that would be that would be difficult but since i'm doing it on mm. two i have spent a lot of time like not kind of quote unquote batch painting in this way i think it it is like still i i think i'm still able to like get past that like Blurry brain power troubles that, like, you're kind of hinting at where you're you're focused so much on just getting the color on the models and not on getting it where you want and focusing on other things. I think because of those factors, I am doing okay with that.
1: Um, gotcha. Because, really, if you think about it, that's it's no different than you know, how many times have you seen like a work in progress picture from somebody where? you know, there's a section of the model you can tell is done and that's kind of what they're showing off and then the rest of the model is doesn't even have paint on it or it has like a base coat and then you keep seeing these update pictures where another section of the model is now completely done. It's effectively doing the same thing. It's just that the sections are on different models at this point. Yeah. So I, I, it feels like that would do a good job of getting away from that assembly line problem where you get models that... You know, where the highlights don't really pop. You didn't really go up as high as you normally would. You didn't worry as much about placement because you're you're trying to make sure that you know you're you're making everything the right color it's supposed to be and making your recipes the same and and so the little details kind of uh, get neglected, so to speak. Yeah,
0: and uh, I mean, part of it is is a it, it's I I don't know because managing the feeling of I just need to get done with it. Is is another difficulty of the like of true batch painting. So I, I don't know if this is better or not. Of just being like, I just need to get through it. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, that, that's that's what I've been up to. Um, probably either halfway done or a little bit under halfway done.
1: Nice. I bet you're going to be excited to be done with those.
0: Uh, yeah, I will be. I could paint anything else.
1: Yeah, no. no, been there. How about uh, at, you? You had mentioned before the show that you had assembled Immortal Hulk. Mm. How would you find that experience?
0: Uh, well, it was fine so far because I've I've literally just glued the pieces together. I haven't done any of the <laughs> the gap filling that I can see I need to do. Um, so I, I I think it was fine, but I also haven't uh, haven't done anything. So I. I definitely will at some point need to um you know do the rest of it which is that gap filling polishing the model uh I I just kind of had 30 minutes one day so I just glued the pieces together um so I uh I know that you've assembled it so how was how was how your experience with it
1: Yeah um I, my experience with it is the gaps are annoying I had to go kind of back and forth with Plastic putty and files and stuff like that. I I will say that Hulk isn't nearly as bad as the new MODOK. Uh, The new MODOK has really unfortunate joints on the side of his chair. And I would highly recommend to anybody uh, to just put the time in. And before you glue his arms in, uh, be sure to putty that in and file it down. And and I've mentioned this in the past when we talked about gap-filling long time ago, but I want to reiterate it. Uh, It's an easy habit to fall into where you do a gap fill, and then you go, okay, that's good. And then you get the model primed after it's, like, assembled, and then you realize that you didn't really fill the gap. You only kind of partially filled it. I, I fell into this trap many, many, many times when I first started actually trying to do gap filling. And I think the model that broke me out of this habit was lockjaw because I realized that, you know, if I put paint over it, it's I can still see a gap. And that means I haven't actually gap-filled it. Just because you're putting something in the gap that theoretically should gap-fill it doesn't mean you have. And so that's now a thing I do every time I'm gap-filling is is I gap-fill, I, like, maybe sand it down, do whatever I do to to, you know, try and help gap be filled then i once whatever that is is dried i just take some black paint and paint it over it and i see if i can see the gap and then if i can sand it down more put more plastic putty or liquid green stuff or whatever you're using and i just go back and forth with that process until i can't see the line and so i highly recommend anybody working on modoc or uh or Immortal Hulk to do that, because both of them have some some fairly bad gaps. Uh, Like I said, Modok is a little worse than than Hulk is. Also, highly recommend assembling in pieces while you do this, because some of the gaps get really difficult to get to after you've fully assembled anything. Uh, With Hulk, like, there's parts on his arms that are going to be really hard to gap fill. Uh, if you've already attached them to his torso, and then with Modok, uh, when you attach his arms, there's the spot underneath his arms on his chair that you basically can't get to, and so uh, filling gaps in there is going to be really annoying or impossible if uh, if you haven't done it prior to assembly. Yeah.
0: That's... Uh, note of
1: advice. Sorry, I was say it's
0: a good reminder because I, you know, I have that habit where I just kind of. Uh slap stuff together and then worry about it later so good good reminder especially on that particular model
1: and it's it's an easy thing to fall into too like even after i learned that lesson with lockjaw i would still occasionally just forget and i would like just do my normal oh i put stuff in there so the gap is filled it's like it's like you put the plastic putty in there and your brain is like i filled that gap and it's not later until you're trying to put paint on it that you're like oh god he still has a gap and that's at that point it's now a, a pain, or maybe even impossible, depending on the model and how far you've gotten on it. So it's, it's a really easy thing to, to fall back into, to kind of regress into bad habits. So I, I try to make sure that during sub-assembly I'm always looking for, does this piece have a gap? Am I going to need to fill it? Let me do that now before I finish assembling. It makes the assembly stage take a lot longer, but the end result is much nicer. Um, you know, my, my Blob, my Lockjaw, but there's a bunch of models I can look at where I'm like, I'm really happy with how this looks. You can't tell that it had gaps in it and stuff like that. And it, it just looks a lot better on the table if you take the time to do that. Of other note, too, uh, Modoc has a weird little thing going on where he's got a piece that goes behind his face that has his tongue. Mm. Uh, you're going to want to make sure you leave his face off and the tongue part separate. And then what I did was I hand-primed the tongue. And then I uh, just used my regular priming on his face. Uh, and then I'm going to paint the tongue. And then I'm going to glue that into the face. Uh, and then glue his face onto him. And that will allow me to have, like, the painted tongue uh, on him without, you know, trying to paint a tongue behind a bunch yeah. of teeth. Yeah. And so I I would recommend to anybody that cares about that tongue detail, I mean, it it isn't the easiest thing to see anyway, so you you could probably get away from just ignoring it, but me personally, I I know that it would irk me if I look into his mouth and just see nothing but black. I definitely want the tongue to be there, so I'm gonna gonna take the time to do that, but I wouldn't begrudge somebody uh, just being like, I don't care, and just kind of gluing it in and calling it good, but... But just so you know, if you do want that detail, that's kind of what you're going to have to work around.
0: Yeah. Uh, I am taking mental note. Yeah, the, the old GW style uh,
1: tongue thing. I think that that um, makes sense to do. Yeah. So I have been doing those. And then uh, for the other part of my hobby, catch up, uh, I've like I said, I painted a model all day yesterday, but I'm not allowed to reveal what it was. You guys Ooh. are going to have to wait. Secret. Because it's super secret Squirrel Ops. Well, you could say uh, it was for the uh,
0: painting competition, right? The...
1: Yeah, the painting gallery with no name, run by Furious Finest. They're doing a, I, I will give you hints, It's a, it has to be either a two-threat model or a model that, should it be released, it will likely be a two-threat. And that's based on if you can convince the organizers of that argument. So I, I wanted to do Galactus with the argument that he's a two-threat when he appears in Squirrel Girl comics. Um, but I, I didn't know if they would buy that, and I didn't have the time to do a big Galactus model. Yeah, <laughs> so it, I decided of, um, to do... One of
0: those people has a... Is it, is it C-27? That's, that's a large model. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I kind of want to get it and paint it, to be honest with you. But I know I'm going to do the whole not metallic metal shenanigans and all that, and it'll be, it'll be a fun model to paint. But it'll, I'll also be sick of it halfway through, I'm sure. So, uh, but I I did do a model, and it is I, I will say it's an existing two threat model. Um, I still have a little bit more work to do to it, and then I'm going to enter it in, and we'll see how it does. And once it's revealed, I'll post pictures and talk about it and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, the deadline on that is what May first, so.
1: I think so. Yeah. So I have like a whole week left. Yeah. Well, I mean, to it, get it in.
0: you said it was mostly done, so it's uh, not not too much longer to wait. I guess I'm thinking until uh, yeah reveal slash announcement.
1: It it should be done today for sure, and then I can. And of course, there'll be like a week process because I think they do like uh, coding, judging and have yeah. people vote on it and stuff like that. So it, it'll be a while until I'll be allowed to kind of talk about it, but that time will come. Yeah. Cool.
0: Well, excited to have everyone see that. I got a little sneak peek, but um, I I will tell no tales.
1: Indeed. On pain of death.
0: <laughs> uh, I, and So, any other hobby? In? So, uh, top secret project and some assembly, but but anything else?
1: Uh, not really. The only other thing is I've been researching uh, how to, and this is not MCP related, one of my other hobbies is I play Frostgrave and... Uh, I've wanted to for a long time make like a vampire bad guy and I wanted to base it off the Sigvald model from Age of Sigmar. Okay. Yeah. And so I picked I picked one up when I was at Adepticon. And uh I've been looking through different conversions people have done with it and trying to figure out like how I want to go about converting it because I really like it with the the black hair and like the red armor. It has a very kinda Dracula in the middle of battle type feel to it um so I'm I'm kind of I've spent some time planning that out but I haven't really done anything with it other than just browsing images and watching a couple of videos and get inspired on it um no idea when I'm ever going to do it but that's that's the only other little hobby stuff I've been engaged in
0: Ah, yeah, that'll be cool yeah planning out planning out stuff is uh fine I, I don't know. I I have this yes. tendency. Maybe this is like a, a deep dive rabbit top, rabbit hole topic. But it, uh, have you heard of this concept, brain crack?
1: Brain crack? Yeah, I want to make sure. It's, no. no, I've heard of plastic crack. Is it anything like that? So it's
0: this. Um, it's this concept I've heard that is is when you get an idea, in in your in your head, like you have like this idea, like you just described you should just try to do it as soon as possible because the longer it kind of sits in your brain and just like, you're like, oh, it'd be cooler if I did this and this and this and this and this, and this it like builds up the idea a lot larger. Um, one, it becomes like, it turns from this small idea into like this insurmountable like task that you're like, oh, I don't know how I would ever do that. And two, if you ever do do it, it kind of doesn't line up with uh, what you expected it to be. So it. You know that that's kind of the concept of brain crack. It's that twofold: like one, where you never actually do it a lot of the time, or if you do end up doing it, it kind of you've built it into this thing that you don't like how it looks like. So it's kind of this concept of to avoid it. You just if you have an idea that you like, don't don't dwell on it too much. Just kind of get started. Don't plan out every detail, and then uh, you know get started on it. I guess, and then you'll you'll like the process a lot more um i i (laughs) i do not do this i wish i did but i i i very much like when i have an idea like i had an idea for this two thread contest and i was like just laying in bed up until 4 a.m not 4 a.m until like 1 a.m just thinking of exactly how i would do it and when i woke up in the morning i was like ah this sucks i'm not going to do this because i had built in all these details and like all of these steps that are
1: Mm -hmm. going to take
0: a lot of time and, and effort that i didn't end up wanting to do
1: um, interesting
0: yeah so it, I, like as it relates to hobbying like i i have a tendency at least like when i'm thinking about dioramas i'm thinking about larger display type projects to you know overthink it and not really get started on it um so it's, you know something to keep in mind i guess
1: yeah yeah no i, I could see that i think um that definitely happened with me in the past like long long ago when thinking of weird projects like that um but yeah, I, this is something I've actually wanted to do for a long, long time. I just never took the plunge and got the model kind of thing. So, But I'll keep that in mind. That's the, uh, I think that's good insight because I, I, I've experienced that enough in the past that I imagine that's probably kind of a universal thing that people encounter where you get this idea in your head and then you mull on it and it becomes a, a maybe it it gets, like, scope creeped yeah. in your head to where it starts off as one thing and becomes another. And and then that makes it either daunting to try and pull off or impossible to meet expectation. I can totally see that becoming a thing. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, and, and like, kind of the, the solution is to, to just do it, you know? Just get it done.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, all right, well, well, there's the hobby catch-up. I, I suppose uh, we should shuffle along to our our main topic here
1: yes indeed um
0: so we will talk a little bit mystical we're we're returning to our uh leader leadership box and uh going mystical and we're going to be talking about uh dr strange the original and wong
1: uh, yes, finally covering the leader of the most powerful and popular affiliation in all of MCP.
0: Uh well they're Offenders. they're down there competing with like <laughs> Sentinels,
1: uh X-Force.
0: Uh this no, Dissert likes X-Force too much for it to be not be popular. There's enough X-Force, you know, cultists out there, but uh Sentinels Winter Guard is who I was looking for. <laughs> uh, uh throw in salt, <laughs> and throw in shade. Nah, he loves it. Uh Sentinel X Force and um, Defenders, I think, are kind of duking it out to be on top of the dog pile. But gotcha. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. He's you know uh, a powerful, powerful character with a powerful leadership ability that has definitely aged well. But we don't talk about rules. We talk about models. <laughs> so which one do you want to start with? You want to start with uh, the humble Wong or Doctor Strange?
1: i uh, let's uh let's dig into Wong okay about that
0: um yeah so so there there were a couple of things I wanted to touch on on Wong and, and this will more be like just talking through my experience on Wong' I, I don't know if I have a ton of actionable advice um but there there are a couple of things I think we could uh we could talk through that that might be helpful um so, so Wong for me was interesting. I, I think I talked about it on the Thor episode. If if you're, you know, I haven't listened to that episode, that I have have wanted to learn how to um, paint miniatures with oils, and and I started that experimentation on. Um, well, I started a while ago with with just doing oil washes, and I've kind of sung the praises of oil washes before, but this is a little bit different, where you're using oils as like the main the main body of, of your color. And I started that on Thor, and I, I didn't really have good success with that. So on Wong I tried it again and um uh I, I, I had I, I think I had more success with half of it. So the, the two main areas on Wong that I did in oils were one, the green of his outfit, um which I guess is just is I I did the traditional Wong color scheme with or comic book color scheme I should say with the green uh, green outfit with yellow creamy bits uh, that was done with oil and then the um, oh gosh I don't know what you were talking mine mine looks like melted ice cream but I guess the uh, the magic thing on his base. I also it's
1: magic smoke slash fire slash whatever that's supposed to be. <laughs> Melted ice cream.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I also did that with oils. so I, I quite like how the um so, so I, I think I had a lot more success on the uh on the the cloth, like his cloak part and and I think being retrospective about it, I, I think the reason I had more success there was the colors I was I was a lot more disciplined with the colors I was using. I just kind of used a a blue, a mid green, and a yellow, and like mix those together. And I, don't know, I I think a bit of it was pure chance, but those like really worked well together to give a nice a nice gradient on Wong. Um, and you know, with with oils, it's I, I, I don't want to get into painting with oils necessarily. If if people are interested, you can hop into Discord. And I could talk about a little bit more. Um, because this is still, like, I haven't really revisited this too much to have a, a lot of advice for it. But, um, like, the the advantage of painting with oils is it blends really well together. So I kind of started with a mid-green, um, and then in the shadows I put in that blue, and on the highlight I put on that yellow. And you just kind of mix them together on the model because the model's still wet. And you get these nice-looking gradients. Uh, when that dried, I went back and I I did some very thin edge highlights with uh, an acrylic paint, and that was basically it on the the green. and And I think the reason that it looks better is because I was disciplined with the colors I was using. I think that they ended up being like pure pigment type colors, like they they mixed well and still ended up being very saturated. And I say all that because if if you look at the magic effect, I think that I. Happened to do the opposite, and again, this wasn't very intentional at the time. I'm just kind of being retrospective about it, where I think that the colors I used on the the smoke effects like weren't. I think they were all Balange type paints, where uh, that just means that there's more than one type of pigment in there. So I think I bought like some Balange paints and was trying to mix those, and I wasn't quite fully cognizant of where they were on the color wheel when I mixed them together, um, and I think that they. Weren't it didn't mix in quite the same way I was expecting, and like I had a lot of trouble bringing up the value a lot, and I, I think I wasn't paying attention to like the transparency of some paints, so it just kind of ended up like looking like this I don't know this really dark mess, and it doesn't quite like express the mysticism that I was hoping it would. Um so that was kind of my experience of painting with oils. On that, uh, I, I I'm I'm going to try to get better with oils. I I bought this book. It was I was at an art supply store a couple of months ago. It might have just been one month ago. It was called like the Color Mixing Bible. Uh, and it looked really interesting. I, I've I've thumbed through it and read some chapters, but I haven't like gone all the way through it. Um, the so the the idea of it and this is all information you could probably find online but the idea of it is it gives you a bit of history but then it kind of talks through for different types of mediums so so really for me i'm mostly interested in oil and acrylic but for different types of mediums it gives you considerations for mixing like in in the front section there's um like why stuff mixes better a little bit and you know Different, uh, I guess I'm trying to remember actually what's in there. It, it gives like some information. It gives like thinking about pigments, like how you should conceptualize pigments in these artist type paints, which is, you know, new information for me because I, I don't have an art background. Um, but then it's just like maybe 50 pages to, I don't know, maybe 80 pages of just like if you mix PY134 with, you know, burnt umber this is the color and it gives you a small gradient of like what that's going to look like so it's just kind of pages and pages of like what mixes look like and I think for someone like me who who doesn't have an art background um, I've never taken like an art class or at least not a um excuse me not a uh like painting color theory type art class uh, I think that that is going to be interesting to go through and and I can hopefully use that to avoid some of the pitfalls I fell into on like my Wong, because um, it worked really well for me on the cloak, and it worked really poorly for me on the the smoke, and I didn't know what I did either way <laughs> to to make it work. Mm. So that was gotcha. that was kind of yeah. my my like second foray into painting with oils on that, um, and I, it, you know I think it went better than it did with Thor, but still a lot to learn on that.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. My experience painting Wong so Wong is one of I there was a time when I was frustrated and wanting to just kind of burn through my backlog and so I picked seven characters that I wasn't that attached to and was like, I'm just assembly lining these and Wong got caught up in that and I uh, I regret Wong. doing it. <clears throat> say again. Poor Wong. Yes, poor Wong. Uh they say they say there's no wrong way to paint Wong. Uh but uh, it turns out there is, and that's how I went about it. So I put very little thought into mine, and I look back on it and completely regret it. I really don't like how my Wong looks. Uh, he, yeah. And one thing I will say for anyone who is going to paint Wong, uh, and maybe this speaks just to generally to like know what you're trying to go for, uh, I just went with what I saw in the box art, and was like, okay, green with gold stuff, cool, let's do it. I really wish I had a reference, like, had reference, like, comic book. Because, I did, first of all, I didn't know I was painting a comic book version of him. Uh, I just thought, oh, they gave him green instead of what I was used to in the MCU, where he's got, like, his red outfit. Uh, and so I just kind of went off that. And in retrospect, it's like, okay, well, there's... Had I gone off of a comic reference, I think there's some things I would have done differently, and I think it would have made for a better paint job. But I was putting so little thought into it because of the whole assembly line thing that that ended up not happening. So use a reference if you can. Uh, That's one of the benefits of MCP is that there is, for any character you're painting, there has to be like a million images of this character online that you can find that... Can serve as kind of inspiration to make it, and it'll just make the character look better. Like having a reference, it it just makes you think about color and, you know, color theory and where you can place highlights or lighting effects. Like it, it, I feel like everything I've painted where I had a reference to go off of, it turned out better than the ones where I didn't. So uh, do that and then also know what you're going for. I was just kind of like, okay, there's green and yellow. I'm going to put green and yellow on it. And the result is. I didn't put a lot of thought into what I wanted the end result to look like, and so I got an end result that I didn't really like. Um, you know, get an idea in your head of what you are going for yeah. uh, before you start the project. That's the advice I would give.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, for for some characters, you can be surprised with the outfits I wear. So you mentioned the MCU, and, and one thing you can do with your Wog model is, um, you know, I think we both did the box art type green outfit. There's a lot of cool mm-hmm. conversions or, or just alternate paint schemes that, you know, model more after the MCU, which is that, you know, ruddy, ruddy purple slash red type colors, those those, you know, that tends to be very cool looking. Um you know, I, I Wong's kind of a character that's worn a lot of different outfits in the comics, I believe. Uh so you can get some ideas for some alternate paint schemes there. Um yeah, so you know, using reference, like you said, it it helps you with that highlight placement, and can provide other ideas for for things that kind of match your personal taste. If if you want a different different type look.
1: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Um, so I I'll, I mean I'll ask you I you know you didn't enjoy or you didn't give a lot of thought to the 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 smoke effect. What what would you do differently with your with your smoke effect if you were to repaint Wong like today.
1: Yeah, um I I think uh so I was still in my like oh I've got to bring everything to white. Uh I I was still in that mindset where I was like trying to make everything super punchy, which I think is good instinct for MCP in general, so I I don't regret that part of it. But I also think it in this instance with Wong it made kind of a weird uh I'm not even sure how to word this, really. Like, it seems to have the same value contrast that Wong himself does. And I think were I to redo him, uh, I, I would be trying to do, like, texture into the cloth, perhaps, and then I would intentionally try to do something different with the the value of the smoke. In particular, I I did the... Kind of typical highlighting where it gets darker in the recesses and then lighter which is you know pretty normal for when you're doing value shading however since it's magic smoke there's no need to do it that way if you don't want to like you can do it that way nothing wrong with it but i think i would play around with that maybe try to make it to where uh first of all there's like more than one color in there like i just did a kind of purple that goes up into lilacs, which is kind of a bad habit of mine with purples, is I always just do lilacs. I think I would probably play around more with reds in there, uh, make it kind of more of a a magenta feel to it, uh, and then maybe even reverse it to where, instead of getting lighter as it goes up, it gets darker as it goes up and is brighter underneath, so maybe it looks like it has kind of an eternal glow. Um, I really like those effects. And and then, of course, it's a good opportunity to maybe do some some very light OSL, like on the bottom of them, to make it look like the smoke is actually kind of emanating some light. Um, I I would do something along those lines because I I just feel like it would help the model. It would kind of give some visual interest to it and just make it less boring.
0: Yeah, interesting. So, so you would go with like more of a like a glowing fire thing. I, I was thinking that I might. If if I were to redo mine, I I'm not sure I would do it in oils, but I think I would try to make it look closer to smoke, like where it's it's darker at the bottom, um, like maybe more smoldering than that. I mean, it's you know, I think both are valid options. It's just kind of interesting, like where you're going for, like, uh, like kind of what is your interpretation of that of that piece of the model?
1: Yeah, I I think it's one of the strengths of the model. Honestly, is that it is a magic-y smoke thing that he's standing on, and that means that what you want to interpret that as is just wide open. Like, you can have it to where it's, like, some type of magic-y fire that he's, like, dancing on or whatever. You can have it to where it's smoke. You can have it, you know, to where it's just, like, a miasma of energy of some type. You can paint that in so many different ways, uh... And so I, I would play around with that and try to find something that's a little more visual interesting, um, as well as being more deliberate with the color scheme. I, I think that would be a big part of what I would change about him.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting to hear you talk about that. I, I actually really like this sculpt. I like, kind of like how simple it is, like with a lot of subtle sculpted um, like details and highlights on the the cloak itself. Like It, it really lends itself well to forcing yourself to work with um, more subtle highlights than something like a space marine where you, know, you can make it really or you know, maybe a sentinel where you can make it very very jagged, very like prominent type of highlightings and shadows and that'll look really good. This kind of pushes you in a separate way where you, know, you have to think about, uh, how am I how am I going to convey, you know, interest on something with these very subtle folds. Um, Right. I think it's just. I think it's interesting. Uh, an interesting challenge. On top of what yeah, you I, said, I, where where you have the freedom to interpret, you know, the smoke differently. You have the freedom to interpret, like what colors is what colors he's wearing differently. Like, um, I think I saw someone like do a koi pattern on their wong, like a freehand. Like you have the room, mm-hmm. as opposed as opposed to a GW model, like you have a nice area of canvas where you could, you know. Do some kind of freehand, like uh, you, you could. I've seen someone give him a Goku outfit. Like, there's a lot of ways that you can, you know, work with the model uh, because it's it's such a. I don't want to say plain model, but because it's not overloaded with like crap. Like, you know, he should have like twelve submachine guns strapped across his back with fifty pouches and. Uh, I don't know, like <laughs> like four layers. Fortunately. Of-
1: <laughs> Fortunately he wasn't designed in the 90s. Yeah. Four, four layers <laughs> Otherwise that, he'd have exactly that. Yeah.
0: I, don't know, it, I for me like this is just one of those models that I I like to point at where uh, you know some people would talk bad about this model like oh, it was just a really boring model but it gives you a lot it, it, it's a boring model by the GW standards but from my you know point of view is it gives you a lot of opportunity to push yourself to to bring out a lot of the subtle details yeah. on the model. Um, and it gives you the ability to freehand stuff. Um, you can always just glue, you know, or, some kind or of gun to e- the back of it.
1: Even if it's like, uh, you know, something as simple as just doing like texture, uh, it, it that's a really good point that you bring up. And I'm really glad you said it because it, it, it this is a model I think that it's a very, very easy to underappreciate in that it is a you know he has a very simple outfit in the comics it's it's accurately representing that it's also giving him a little bit of dynamism right so he's he's doing like a cool pose so they're 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 giving you enough to work with there to where you can give him a simple paint job and it'll still look cool but they're also giving you a lot of opportunity to really play with it and explore and that's everything from what what do you want to do with the outfit do you want to freehand something do you want to play with textures do you just want to do like an interesting color and then play with the folds uh that allows you a lot of opportunity to play with transitions where you can you can you know go as rough or smooth as you like and and see how it changes the way the model looks and then of course what we've already said about how you can interpret like the the smoky stuff he's standing on uh, it really is a model that it's yeah, what, what what's the right way to phrase this It it is on the surface it appears to be just a very kind of basic model but in reality it it's a the the complexities that can be brought into painting it uh, are hard to are hard to overstate like there's a lot you can do with this model if you want to and I, and i think that's as a hobbyist that you know as somebody who is looking at this from the standpoint of painting and a paint journey and things like that uh, th- this is definitely a a model that I, I wish I had had that mindset when I was painting him the first time because I feel like I could have learned and pushed myself a lot harder than I did um, had I had that mindset when I was first painting him. So yeah, a lot of good insights there.
0: Yeah, no, I I think so. Yeah, these are the type of models that I like. Um, nice, plain, but with with that, like you said, that slider scale, and you could take it up to. Um, to where you want it to be, as far as difficulty, uh, or no, maybe not difficulty is not the right word, like like level of effort. You have a, you have a nice wide sliding slider there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. I I don't know if you want to talk about it too much. One of the things that I had a lot of difficulty with on Wong was was uh, and and frankly, a lot of the models like Luke Cage is is getting a bald head to look right. Do you have any, like, I just kind of slap at it until I feel like it looks okay? I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you have any advice for, like, how to get it done? Like, I, I think I did a little bit. I, I did do Wong's, like, head area in acrylics. Like, a little bit of this is, you know, mixing in, like, a blue green into the shadow tones, especially on that, on the back of the head, the bottom half. I try to, like, get that, uh, to be that desaturated blue-green. Um, but I don't know. I just have a lot of trouble with like getting the highlight to be in the right place so that it, it looks right.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Because it, it. at the end of the day, you are dealing with kind of an oblong sphere, right? Like yeah. it's, it's spherical in nature, but not exactly. Like it's, it's a little bit stretched as far as the sphere goes. Yeah, and, and
0: it kind of turns into a cylinder when it goes that that neck area.
1: Right, right, and, and I, so I
0: an oblong. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, with with my uh, with my Wong, like the back of the head, I didn't really pay much mind to it all. Uh, to to its detriment, I think that uh, I, I guess what I would do is, uh, I'm not sure how to describe this. It, it like I I like to have a lot of your mid tone present. Uh, just kind of all over, and then have it go more into the recesses, like around kind of the temple area, and then the, the right above the brow uh, area, and then where the head, like where the head kind of meets the neck, that area is where I do my recesses. Then have my my midtone everywhere else on the head um and then save the like save the extreme highlights for like the very tippy top of the head and they're going to end up looking like a essentially a line almost because that's where it starts to get oblong like on the top of the head it's going to be longer than just a sphere it's going to be a sphere stretched from the top of their head to the back of their head and so having that as like almost a line but then of course you want this to like if you're just doing a line up there it's going to look really odd so you have to make sure you're like feathering in um your highlights so that it it you know you get an okay transition in there otherwise i think that's going to look really weird um and and then maybe even having that line go back a bit to the back of the head uh, so that you're kind of showing that there's a, a bit of a bit of extreme highlighting on on the back uh, I, I I think, oh, how to describe it? Like, so you, you get that line, right? And then from there, you want to feather that in. And since you're feathering that in by taking your mid-tone and, like, adding a little bit of what are, whatever your highlight is, that should allow that to soften and kind of spread to the rest of the head, if that makes sense. And so that should give you a transition from the mid-tone of the the bald head area up into your extreme highlights. Um, but I, I, I would recommend just playing with it a lot with very thin coats, uh, trying to keep in mind the shape of it. It It's generally a sphere, but it's got like a little bit of an oblong nature to it where it's also kind of wrapping around to the back of the neck. Uh, and if you keep that in mind and have references of like lit spheres and cylinders, uh, and and just think about that while you're doing it, uh, it'll probably help you to get something something you like. It is really challenging to do, though. I think that's a that's a good point. It'll I'll have to keep that in mind. Like when Professor X finally comes out, yeah, I have to I have to do this again.
0: Yeah, I, every time I've had to do it, I've I've, I've really struggled with getting it to look right, and I, I guess it does just kind of for me, end up being an annoying process where you're just like going back and forth with those thin codes. Um, I'm sure if I was better at wet blending, that'd give me a much better place to start with, but uh, I, you know, I I don't wet blend a lot, and I, I don't quite get it, so I just end up f- f- fussing about a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, this is where the, the, is it Sam Lens, I believe, that Wet blending advice of like just start doing it. Uh, yeah. In fact, start doing that. Learn like learn by just being like I'm gonna start wet blending now, even though I'm brand new to painting. And eventually, you'll be a phenomenal painter because all of your stuff just defaults into wet blending. So I, I might start. I might start trying to dig into that. It's hard though because I don't know. Sometimes you just want to paint a model and you want it to look nice and be done with it and not, you know, not spend an insane amount of time on it. So. Yeah. I don't know. There's always that line of like, how much you know. When do you want to push yourself, and when do you just want to have like a model you like and and feel good enough about to play with? And I don't know. It, it's that balance between you want a game with it, and you also want to improve as a painter. And where where do you draw the line, kind of thing?
0: Yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, any anything else on Wong before we talk about the Doctor Strange?
1: No, oh, I think I think that pretty much covers uh, any any insight I can give on that. Don't do what I did.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so D- Doctor Strange, you know, we we talked about the the niceness of Wong. Doctor Strange is a little bit in the other direction, where he's he's a extremely busy model, like as far as the amount of folds he has in his his cloak. Obviously, this is more from character design itself and on the sculpt, <laughs> but um very busy model very cool model where he's like flying through a magic effect uh he's uh you know they did a really good job of having him float in midair i I really i really enjoy how that looks even if it was a bit of a uh, pain with the assembly Uh, because i I did him in some assembly with uh him separate from his cape uh, or the cape rather separate from the magic effect um so yeah, a lot to chew through on this model where, where where do you want to start with? You want to start from like a high level on, you know, color choices that you could do for for Doctor Strange?
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess, uh, Doctor Strange is another one of those characters where um they've played with his outfits a lot, especially since, you know, he was very heavily inspired by kind of 70s psychedelic kind of stuff. I, there there's a lot of things you could do with his outfit if you wanted to. You could really go crazy with this. Uh, and then, of course, you know, he now has a much more iconic kind of MCU and more recent comic stuff, so it, it, you could easily just go with kind of the canon box art interpretation and have it look really good. Um, but yeah, you're right. He he is a much much busier model. There's a lot more going on with him, um, and that brings a lot of its own challenges, right? Uh, it, it does make it to where... It, he is a bit of an opposite of Wong in this respect, where the, if you play around with him the same way you play around with Wong, you could get something that's kind of hard to look at. Um, but I, I do really like the, the the floating effect they did with him. I, I think, especially with how early on he is in the MCP range, like it's pretty impressive they were able to pull that off. And, and I don't know about you, but I've found that he's surprisingly sturdy for being a yeah, model after, that... after it gets all together yeah 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 and i was expecting i remember when i was first putting him together i was thinking like man i'm gonna have him snapping off the base like every other second and it's gonna get frustrating i'm gonna have to do some weird stuff like like pinning his foot to the base or something and i, I i've never had to do anything like that surprisingly
0: yeah I, I imagine it can break if you know you get um pressure in the right way but but like you i've, I've been impressed with uh the sturdiness of it let's call it. Yeah. I mean, but you know, th- there are other things and we didn't mention with this Wong, that there's like some alternate posing capabilities with you you can always kind of change out what they're doing. Like I've seen people um, kind of have him floating off his two feet and then using the magic effects as you know other pieces uh like more basing type effects or like uh off of whatever piece he's floating off of. Like like you can kind of rearrange the the sculpt itself to to give you interesting um like uh, they're not really conversions because they're not on the model itself, but I guess like basic opportunities.
1: Um, yeah, re recontextualization of yeah. like what, what all the stuff is. Yeah. yeah exactly. No, I, 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 that's a good point. I have seen people do stuff like that where they they have they find some other way to base him essentially and then repurpose the rings as something else. And that's, Uh that is a cool uh, opportunity you get with this model.
0: Yeah. And um, yeah, maybe you're not playing around with the painting, but it does give you that like, quote unquote hobby canvas to to play around with.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: But I mean, as far as my alpha choices, I, I think we both went with the same like comic book, Blue and red cape, I guess, just kind of matching the box art, which is probably a consistent theme with with kind of how I paint most of my models. Um, but uh, speaking of the cape, though, um, I, I I think I've talked about this before, but man, I hate painting capes. I'll tell you what, they're mm-hmm. they're a pain to paint. Um, I I kind of like how my other Doctor Strange's cape went out better. Like like this was kind of an earlier model for me. Um, but I just can never get them to look right. And, you know, there's one interesting thing I want to point out. Well, well here, I'll, I'll pass it over to you while I look around for this. But, um, you know, kind of what was your experience painting the cape?
1: Yeah, um, I had a nightmare time painting the cape. Um, I had long, long time ago, uh, back when I was painting Blood Angels, I not get red to look right and so I painted pretty much my entire army to look like the Death Company version where you have red as like the trim and otherwise you are painting them black. And that changed when um, I was working at Games Workshop and someone gave me the advice of actually using brown uh, as like your base coat. You start with like a dark brown and I think it was, uh, I can't remember the, the name of the color, uh, scorched leather, or something like that. But mm, sure. I don't even know if the color's still around anymore. But yeah, using that and layering up, and and so for my challenge with the cape on him was I was trying to get it to have like a nice vibrant red to it, but I I also wanted it to get darker in the folds, and I was trying to figure out how to go about doing that. And so, uh, and then on top of that, I was still in that like everything has to go to white, and I was like, how do I get this to go to white? So, I was running into the problem of like things were turning into pinks, uh, and so I was, uh, I, I think I started actually like glazing stuff back down. Um, and so he may have been one of my earlier like experimentations with trying to use glazes to get like a good red, but I don't think I was conscious that, that that's what I was doing at the time, uh, but. I I like what I ended up with, I think it looks pretty decent, Uh, but I completely sympathize with you on capes being just like a total pain to paint, because you've got this flowy canvas where you've got all these like folds, and by nature it should look smooth, because it's a cape, you don't have a lot of room for... Uh, it, it, you know, unless it's tattered or something, with something like his, you don't have a lot of room for um, having like really rough transitions and and things like that. So, trying to find a way to give it value and give it uh, contrast, where where you've actually got some shadow and some highlight in there, in a way that looks smooth, they, they can be a total pain. And I I feel like if I'm if I'm ever in a spot where I have to paint a cape. I think my go-to now is I want to see, number one, can I paint the cape separately? Mm -hmm. Is there a way I can have that separated from the model? And of course, this is going to be model dependent. There's some models you're going to be able to get away with this pretty easily, and there are other models that are going to be very difficult to pull this off. I think, Dr. Strange, it would probably be pretty hard to do this. Uh, I think your best bet here would probably be having him separate from the magic effect. That's probably the best way to get at this with him. Uh, And and then I would go with the airbrush glazing method that I experimented with. Yeah. yeah, With Beta Ray Bill. Um, I, I, I would do that for him. And I feel like that's your best chance at being able to, sketch in some rough value sketches and then do some airbrush glazing or or and you don't need to do it through an airbrush Um, I I don't want anybody listening to this to think oh great. This doesn't apply to me because I don't have an airbrush Uh, You could do this by hand. It's just not as quick, but it's still easy like you're just taking um, You know either a wash or an ink uh, or you know just a watered-down paint whatever you're doing to do a glaze And you just go over the cape after you've uh, done some rough highlight sketching. And that should get you something at the end of the day that has those values and still has smoothness to it. Um, I I feel like going forward, that's how I'm going to try to do as many capes as I possibly can. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the way to do it. And it is kind of how I'm trying to move my painting style, where you. you don't get your perfect blends on the first pass. Like you get your highlights and shadows in the places you want it, and then you work on blending it together via that glazing process. I think that that is some very sound advice. Um, I wanted to, but but speaking of the highlight process, I I, I saw this. Um, I, I talked a while back about those FAQ miniature painting books, and I I can't get this out of my head, and it, it's absolutely ruining me. Um, and and it's regarding painting capes and fabric in general. Um, so if and and this is like definitely some higher higher end painting considerations, but i like i said, i can't I can't get this out of my head. and I was trying to um, find a nice picture reference of it, but I, I don't think that I'll be able to. so if you think about a cape and and I'm just going to simplify it to being a w shape. let me me put in a nice w so uh or maybe an m yeah let's go with an m so if you think about the m where the cape is kind of flowing up and down and up and down and and i want to think about that like central v shape in the cape and maybe doctor strange is actually a really good example of that Mm -hmm. because it, it does kind of trace an m so all of the areas that should receive more lighting should be the upward-facing areas, right? So obviously, the peaks of the M should receive more lighting. Uh, those, um, the slants of the M and the slants of the cape should receive less lighting. But where I always have messed up capes, and, and now that this has been pointed out to me, and I, I'm not going to be able to like live with myself, um, is that central valley of the cape should receive light. And actually, if, if you look at my picture of the Doctor Strange Cape, you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Or technically, that's that that like it's a recessed fold, but it's still an upward-facing surface. It's still going to receive light. If if you see my picture, like there's some subtle glossiness of that white light on the Doctor Strange Cape. There should actually be a much brighter red there than I have painted because that would be an upward-facing surface and it should receive light. Um, because of light, uh, light decaying, it shouldn't be as bright as the peaks of the M. Sure. But there still should be light, like a lighter area there. And you know how I've always painted this. I can I can see how you've painted is you know recesses should be darker and the light the raised areas should be lighter. But with capes and fabric, that that's not always the case yeah. if it's an upward-facing cape, like the way his cape is kind of flowing out. That that valley there, just in the middle of that valley, should be a lighter color. Yeah. And why I'm you... saying why I'm saying that this is ruining me is this is, I already hate painting cames. so I think that this is very difficult to execute on.
1: Right, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny you say that, because I'm looking at my image of mine, and you can see that uh, on the back image where you can see his cape, the, it's rather glossy. And sure enough, what do you see in the dark recess? You see a, a little line of light of gloss, and that perfectly illustrates your point. That, that yeah my mine, mine, should mine be, has that too. Right. Yeah. That should be brighter. There actually should be red there, and it shouldn't be uh it shouldn't be as dark as it is. So my whole my whole mental conception of how I'm highlighting capes is just not accurate to how they actually look. Well, I,
0: I think I think it's 85% of the way there because the only thing that you would need to change on your Doctor Strange is to like where those valleys are, blend it into a like, not your highlight tone, but like maybe like two steps above your mid tone, and then blend it back out into the dark when it goes into that that slant back in.
1: Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: I wanted to do this with my beta ray bill cape. Like, I've been aware of this for a while, and I wanted to do it with my beta ray bill, but I was, I I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It was too, uh, (laughs) couldn't couldn't
1: you bring yourself to make it happen? eh?
0: Yeah. It's just, it's just now, now that I know this thing, it's like in the back of my mind, eating away every time I either look at or paint a cape. It just, I'm like, ah, what have I done to myself? What is, what is happening to me? Actually, maybe I did do it a little bit. Actually, you know what? I did do it on my beta ray bill cape. bit not as much as I would have liked. But you're welcome. Now now this is gonna you know go to you. And, and, and this is kind of true. This this is true to a degree for any fabric that's like folded in that way. It's kind of you have to think is it upward facing then it maybe it should get a little bit more like light like not all the way up to your brightest highlight obviously but mm-hmm. um maybe more of a midtone instead of a shadow color. Uh, although it depends on the size of the fold. Like, if I'm looking at, like, Doctor Strange, I wouldn't do that with his, like, the clothy arm bits. Like, I wouldn't mess around with getting all of those folds, like, that are upward-facing and that, because those are so narrow folds that those would be closer to dark, because there would be a, a literal shadow mm-hmm. if you painted that realistically. But Right, right. With something that's, like, such a swooping, broad fold, like, in the capes and stuff, which is where you're mostly going to see this. That is where I would, uh, you know, paint in that highlight.
1: Gotcha. All right, well, uh, I'll have to factor that into my thinking going forward. Thanks for ruining yeah. my cape painting for me. Appreciate it. Yeah,
0: and it just makes it even harder, which I'm not I'm not in love with. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, uh, so sorry if that was obvious to anyone. For me, it was kind of like a a, a quote-unquote level up moment but it was it was like a very frustrating one because i was like ah crap now i have to do this
1: yeah um, yeah that's how you grow there right? well
0: well i say that you, you don't really have to do it but um you know no no, as no you, you, you as literally you kind of... have to you literally have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of it's as you like push yourself up on these you know the ever-ending uh uh Step type pyramid of you know miniature painting. These are kind of things that creep into your head and then you know help you to depict things more realistically. Um, all right, I want to drag us out of this rabbit hole. I just I just wanted to throw that out there because I was just staring at my cape and it was bothering me. Gotcha.
1: No, I'm glad you brought uh, it up. I mean, hey, that's that's why we're here, right? So <laughs> makes sense.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, so the other the other thing I wanted to talk about on this, if you know, and, and I'll pass it back to you if you want to talk about anything, is is the magic ring, and and kind of how to play around with this magic effect. Um, so I, you know, obviously with the model, the the ring he's flying out of it is such a you know big piece of the model that he it, like of the model itself, it, it's really kind of the eye catcher of the model. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it's worth spending the time to to make it look good. Um there's a there's a lot of ways that you can do it. I mean you can I, I you can paint it by hand, like you can do a lot of texturing with it. Um but I think what really helped mine look good is is I did um this was a pretty early on experimenting with inks. So I, I did a lot of airbrushing with inks and, and I did a lot of back and forth with this. So um I kind of did it in it, it looks a little bit like NMM type style and I, I didn't intend for it to do that at the beginning but it it does look like that now um to, to me now um, so I I kind of you know had three colors and white so the the base color there is a is a dark purple uh, or not the base color. The dark, pur- the dark areas you're seeing is a dark purple that I've kind of sprayed with an airbrush, and mm-hmm. then I did that with an orange on the rest of the areas. So the purple, the thin purple with the um, the transparent orange is what makes it look like that that yellow or that uh that dark brown because of subtractive uh, subtractive area or uh, subtractive pigment mixing subtractive mixing I think is what it is um, and then I did white on the areas that I wanted to be brighter, and then I did um you know a yellow again with that uh and that gives you that nice transition from you know purple or this 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 dark brown which is really purple with a orange filter applied over top of it that blends out into that true orange and then goes into that more yellow um. And then I think I like, I I definitely played around with this a lot. I'm trying to remember it was a while ago. Like I would try to push the highlights, knock it back, push the highlights, knock it back. So it was, it was a lot of airbrush work. And then to make it look like it's not just airbrushed, um, is it, you know it's really easy to do. And I, I'm kind of looking at it, wish I did better, but just edge highlight the whole thing with ice yellow um, is is what I did, and apply some selective highlights in those shadow areas. And it kind of takes, it, it It moves it from looking like, oh, he just airbrushed that to a little bit more, I don't want to say realistic, but, but it just kind of changes how it feels and reads when you apply that edge highlight.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think that airbrushing on its own often doesn't look great because it looks like it's just airbrushing. Like it, it reads yeah, to the eye as tell. like, you just airbrushed that. And it kind yeah. of takes away from the like, magic of the paint job whereas and it's funny because you mentioned that you kind of got this you ended up with this kind of non-metallic metal gold look and i feel like the Edge highlighting with like a very bright color, like an ice yellow or, or, you know, a titanium white or whatever. Um, that's usually one of the ways you help sell a non-metallic metal. So I think that probably contributed to that. But I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think it looks great. Um, it has, you know, I, I did a similar thing where I was trying to go for kind of like a, a gold rings look, but this was well before I had any clue what I was doing in that regard. And so, uh, and, and the photos don't help mine that much, but they, I, I have a similar thing going on where I'm going into darker yellows and oranges and browns when you get into the recesses and then uh, the lighter stuff. And the problem is, is the value difference between all of it is not great and so you, it all ends up just looking like a kind of big blur of yellow especially on the photos but um yeah like i i really like how your rings came out i think they look great and it, it, again this is another thing where every time we discuss color theory i feel like you're breaking my brain because it, you're like oh yeah that's a purple and i'm like that's not purple quit lying to me and then you're like oh yeah and then i used orange and that's how you end up with this brown and i'm like wait wait hang on <laughs> like i need i need a moment for my brain to like wrap wrap around what you're saying there because the idea that you can mix purple and orange and get like a brown and just using so, so are you saying that other than the edge highlighting that you did all the colors in there is just a dark purple and orange, and you said a white.
0: Uh, well, a yellow and a white. Yeah. A yellow and, and a the white. white okay. The white was just to underpaint for like added value. Um, that that was just to like get it to go up in value a bit. So I would like in the areas that are lighter, I would do it with white, and then go back gotcha. over it with yellow. What
1: What did you originally prime it as?
0: Oh boy, uh, I think it was a Zenifold. I mean, fold. it was in a fold, but it, it doesn't really matter because I, I put enough like paint on it eventually. Where you know, I, I don't. I don't it think a It probably mattered.
1: doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah, sense.
0: Yeah, on this one in particular,
1: I, I think that looks really cool, and I'm, I'm definitely gonna. I have to play around doing some some probably airbrush glazing if 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 when and if I ever get around to repainting him because. My magic effect is super underwhelming, and your yours is very striking. Like your eye is immediately drawn to it when you look at the model. So, well done.
0: Yeah, uh, well, thanks. That's what I was going for a bit, and and you know that that's uh, it, it's pretty easy to do. Like like with that purple and, and through an airbrush. I will say, like these are all like the Rowler Downy inks, which I think makes the um, what I was talking about, where you're doing that additive color mixing or the subtractive color mixing rather. Where you're like putting those translucent layers on top of each other, I think that that uh, makes it a lot easier with this naturally trans transparent type uh type medium. Uh, I I just have to go back to this because I I found an image that I liked. Uh, This is just like some draped fabric that someone painted. If you look at the top V of that, if you look right in the middle of that V, like where it's actually lighter. Mm. I think that's that's what I'm talking about. Little aside, I just wanted to point that out. That's the Discord for people who are
1: looking. Yeah, for yeah, that. yeah. Basically, this is just illustrating what he talked about with the capes earlier, where the upturned part of it uh, gets more light, even if it's in what your mind interprets as a crevice. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's a that's a good visualization of what you're talking about. Yeah, as far as the magic goes, though, one of the things that occurred to me, too, like, I kind of defaulted into doing the gold ones, but then um, I had I painted mine before Shirastro came out with his Doctor Strange guide. And looking at his, he decided to go with green. And since, you know, he has the time stone, which is green in, in the MCU and all that, it made me go, oh, that's, that's a clever idea, and it kind of made me wish I had done something like that. And so I thought, wow, that really opens up a lot of like, and and it's kind of obvious when you think about it, but I just wasn't really thinking about it. That you you don't have to do the rings gold. You could do them anything. It's literally magic, you know. So it's it's whatever whatever craziness you want to do. If you want to bust out tur- turbo dork paints, if you want to break out like pearlescent do like, you know, brilli white in there with like an ink over it. You could could do all kinds of crazy stuff with the magic on this. Similar to, you know, the the smoke that Wong is stepping on. Uh, This is another one of those examples where, you know, you can go as crazy as you want with it. Rainbows, sparkles, whatever. Uh, and, And then, of course, because you have, I would say, unlike the smoke, you have a lot more... There's a lot more elements to the rings, so it it gives you even more ability to kind of play with, um, you know, adding shadow and light and changing the kind of effect that you're getting, you know, transitioning from colors to other colors. Like, there's so much you can do with the magic that... Uh, it it now makes me look at mine after seeing like yours and seeing Sorastro's and seeing so many others I've seen where people really played with that. It makes me realize I I really did not utilize that to my advantage. I, I could have made the model look a lot cooler had I been thinking like that when I originally painted him.
0: Yeah, and the the nice thing about the magic is it it's all pretty much canon. I I do remember when I was painting this, I I did a lot of reference image searching for like what the magic should look like mm. and, and I, I really don't think that there's a, a typical way it's depicted in the comics, at least from what I could search. I, I think you know, depending on whatever spell or whatever artist thought would look cool, they kind of yeah. did whatever they wanted. So,
1: Yeah, I think that um, kind of goes back to that psychedelic inspiration for the character that a lot of his stuff yeah. was based around that. You, you would You would assume that they would make full use of all the different crazy colors that something could be. So... Yeah, it, it. Yeah, that. That doesn't surprise me that there really isn't a canon version of that.
0: Yeah, it, it does give you a lot of a lot of room to play. I, I went with this because I wanted to try out this. Um, what I was experimenting with with the ink, but like, sure, you know, blue would look cool. It matched the outfit well. Like you could do red that contrasts against the outfit. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things you could do with it. To your point. Yeah. Um. And then and then the last thing, and, and this goes into basing. Um wh- one of the things I try to do to to mix up the bases without um, without like doing any physical things is to like just put effects with paint on there. So what I tried to do on my Doctor Strange base, I didn't execute it very well, was to make like this concentric circles, like continue this concentric circle thing that you see in the um like that is on his ring and just kind of get some stencils set up and paint those on the base, um, so that that concentric circle theme um, carries carries through to the base, and then you know kind of blends the model, and you get a different looking base without having to do anything with it. Um, if you look at mine, it, it does not look like that at all. It kind of looks like I was just sloppy with the airbrush, but um, the idea was there in my head, and and I think that you know if if you're trying to search your mind for the the point of me bringing this up if you're trying to search your mind for like what can I do with basing to like set my model apart um uh, think think of ways that you could like design a stencil easily or um I mean you don't have to do it with a stencil, you could just freehand it, but uh i don't I'm not good enough to do that but but what could you do with just paint alone to set the Set the base apart. Like road markings are a common one. Um, you you could but like you did with your Emma, like make it look marbly. You can you can try to do some kind of special effect with paint. Like there's a lot more to changing how basing looks than just with um with you know texture paint, stuff to add onto it. You can also use paint as a way to try to set your bases a little bit differently. Just something to think about I, I I don't have a ton to talk about with my doctor Strange specifically because i I didn't execute it on it very well. Like I just cut out two circles and then tried to airbrush around, and then it you know didn't really work in the way I had envisioned it in my head. I kind of brain cracked out um, mm. so uh, but it is something you know think about, and I still like will paint you know road markings on some models that I want to kind of set them apart.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's. I'm glad you bring that up. That's something that uh, you know I've remarked in the past about how I want to kind of up my basing game a bit because all of my bases have been rather lackluster, and I've been trying to do that. uh, Number one, by just anytime they have like a tactical rock, trying to do a little more to kind of blend that into the environment so it doesn't look like it's just glued onto a base. Um, But paint is another perfect example of that. One of the things I learned when I was doing the Adepticon base for the Sentinels was, I the texture paint worked really well on the roads, and that made me realize, well, I need to carry that through to the Sentinels. Um, and then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I probably should have done road markings at some point. Uh, that would have been nice. It would have, you know, kind of helped add that. And then that made me think, why am I not doing road markings on? You know, the, the I have all these urban bases, and I don't have a single road marking on any of them. And it's like, what what am I doing? So. I I think that's a really good point, is adding this idea that a a quick way of kind of upping your bases and just adding some visual interest is to uh, play around, you know, it's a base just because it looks like... Remember, we're painting minis, so just as the model doesn't need to look like it's made of plastic or... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, or whatever it is can be given life and texture. You could do the same thing with the road. Just because it looks like it's pavement doesn't mean it has to be. It can be a marble surface. It can be whatever. Uh, play around with it. Come up with different ways of uh, kind of upping the visual interest. Especially on a model like Doctor Strange, where it's it's such a large base. Um And... You know, because and so of so little of it is used. Yeah, exactly. So so little of it is used. It's like it's a perfect opportunity to to do something to kind of make it have more going on, uh, even if it's just little stuff. Like I, I don't know, throw a newspaper on there, or whatever. Um, but play around with paint and other things you can do to a base to to just make it look less dull. I think that's a I think that's a really good thing to point out
0: yeah as as character carries the story through, it it, uh, it adds a lot for not a ton of work sometimes. Sometimes it is a lot of work. but uh, you know, just something to think about as you know people approach their models, be it dr strange or or other models in the future. Yes, indeed. well, uh, that's all that I had to talk about. Anything you wanted to mention on the magical duo? Uh, before we wrap it up. Uh, the only
1: thing I wanted to do is uh shame you for being a heretic mm-hmm. and not giving your Doctor Strange a goatee. I wanted I wanted uh, to do um, that.
0: Uh-oh. Yeah, actually, I I'm trying to remember why I didn't do it, and I think that the answer is I didn't catch it. <laughs> That's it.
1: In in fairness, um, this is a goatee that you pretty much have to imagine. They didn't really model it in, uh, like they did with. Uh, they did a little more on the Sorcerer Supreme one. He actually has like little modeled parts that look like hair on his face, whereas on this one, uh, I can totally see you just doing that in flesh and not realizing. Oh, that's supposed to look like a goatee. So I'll defend you a little bit, but. Especially... No, I don't deserve it. I didn't I didn't do it. I I agree. I agree because especially with how iconic this character has become and how big a deal they are in the MCU and all that, you there's no way when painting this you shouldn't have been like Oh, I need to give him a goatee. So, for shame, sir. For shame.
0: Yeah. This was before I liked painting faces. So I was struggling too much with with the face to to even think about hair, I, I honestly. Well, so th- this is interesting. Do you paint eyebrows on your minis?
1: I do not. Yeah, I do not.
0: I, I I hate freehanding hair on the minis. I think it looks on, on this scale. I have trouble sure. making it look not goofy. Um, the goatee is different, but may, maybe that's where my mind was when I was like, I I chose not to do it. Or I think I think honestly, I I just forgot.
1: Um. Mm. see, now, oh, man, I shouldn't have brought this up. Because here I was giving you crap about, about not doing the goatee. And then you brought up the eyebrow thing. And now I'm like, oh, my god. I need to do eyebrows I, on all these models.
0: No, I don't think that you should do eyebrows. I think that it looks goofy every time I've seen it. Like, like the scale at which the faces are there. It's just on that borderline where the eyebrows, like, if you were to paint them, I think that it, I think that it looks like the eyebrows are way too big. Like, like half their forehead is covered in eyebrows. But then, if you like do it to scale, right? It's like this very thin line, and then it just kind of looks like a, like I you know, I always read that as like a scratch.
1: So I I feel where you're coming from, but let me give a counterpoint. What if the issue is that because of that scale, with how small the eyebrows are. What if the way to find that balance is not to just take their hair color and do like a small amount of that, but rather to take some of that hair color influence with flesh and make it Uh, to where you're getting like a small line of not hair color, but like hair color influenced flesh to actually make it look like there's there's maybe some hair there from a distance. What if that gets you that balance?
0: I would I would have to see it. I'm having a hard time imagining that that just doesn't look like a discoloration. Uh, but yeah, I would have to see that. Yeah. Um, I mean that, that's, that is an interesting thought. Yeah. Uh,
1: I'll have to play with that, and we'll see we'll see what it ends up looking like. But this this does create a bit of a dilemma for us, though. Is like, what do you do about eyebrows?
0: I mean dilemma for you. I, I have no I don't think you should go.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Your way of avoiding the dilemma is just ignoring it.
0: All right. I mean, I've I've thought about it. I don't think it's a dilemma. I don't think that the eyebrows read as eyebrows at this scale. Like like I don't want to be mean, but like look at anyone who's painted their eyebrows on their like core box Black Widow. I just think it it like looks like you've cartoon drawn like Angry eyebrows on. Yeah, you you know
1: what? I'm I'm inclined to agree with you because there was, and I think you put we posted this during the last episode, actually, uh, when we covered Modok. Is there was somebody that did a like gorgeous paint job on Modok where they went into crazy amounts of detail. We're talking like irises in the eyes, all this stuff, and they also did eyebrows. And even though it's this. Big detail face where it should have the eyebrows painted in, even the eyebrows on that to me, there was something about it that just didn't feel right. It, it felt like, oh, I, I don't like seeing that on there. It, and so if I feel that way with a big face like Modoc, how would I not feel that way about much smaller scale face like most of the MCP range? So you might be right. I, I think I might be leaning in your direction, but Perhaps I'm going to take some of my older models, where I'm not that attached to their paint job anymore, like Wong, and maybe I'll play around with that and see, uh, see what I come up with.
0: I mean, I'll, I'll be interested to see what you come up with. I, I'm just having a hard time imagining. Like, like, I, I, I have given it actually a lot of thought, because I, I was trying to figure out why, when I see other people's eyebrows, I, I just kind of look at it cross-eyed. And I think that if you do it, To the scale, it should be. It looks like someone's taken a little sharpie and given your miniature angry (laughs) eyes, like very thin black angry eyes. And if you do it to a scale where it's going to start reading his eyebrows, they're just going to look incredibly large.
1: Yeah. Uh, In fairness, but
0: but maybe maybe your maybe your solution is is a middle ground that I hadn't considered. and, and maybe that does end up working.
1: Well, I'll, I'll play with it. I'll bust out some of my older models. And I'll try it out and see what I like. I, I will say, though, in in the case of some of the women, it might actually work because it is literally a thing. I remember my, my wife went and um, she was trying to just get kind of a side job. And so she interviewed at Ulta Beauty, mm-hmm. as one of these makeup places. And she found out during that. she She's not a person that goes crazy on makeup. And she found out that like it's very common practice to like when they say paint on their face jokingly that's not really a joke like a lot of makeup usage really does come down to like whitening out the face like with some type of foundation you do a a canvas you turn the face into a blank canvas. And then you're literally painting features on so you're creating the impression that the cheekbones are in a certain area you're creating the impression of of you know the brow and the eyebrows you're actually painting on the eyebrows where you want them to be kind of thing and that was baffling to me finding out that like some people actually are literally painting their face on so and and by the way if you're good at it you can do it in such a way where it it doesn't look off-putting like I, I know I'm describing it as if it's like circus clown level nuts like like Mimi from the Drew Carey show kind of levels of makeup but it doesn't need to be that like if you're actually good at this you're still painting your face on but you're doing it in such a way where no one would necessarily know that unless they're very well versed in makeup usage so so the takeaway here from a miniature painting standpoint is that If you have a character that likely takes advantage of makeup, like, you know, Black Widow uh, would probably do that, given her, you know, her kind of role, the way she infiltrates and things like that, seduces, what have you. If you're doing, like, an Emma Frost or a Black Widow-type character, having, like, a drawn-on eyebrow might actually be totally in line and something they would do. But and we run into that interesting balance that we're trying to create as as miniature painters where where do you draw the line between realism and what looks what reads to the the audience as looking good right sometimes you have to sacrifice realism for the sake of it looking good and i suspect that your instinct is right on this where no matter how much work you put into doing those eyebrows on like black widow it's gonna have that weird feel where it doesn't quite look right and even if it's logical or rational you should probably avoid it I, I'm leaning in your direction on that one.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I'm, I'm open. I'm obviously open on this. I, I, I just, like, I thought about it a lot. I, I think I have a hard time imagining when... Unless it's literally sculpted on there. Like, like if you, like, um I think the other Doctor Strange, I think, like, the, the Logan, like, is sculpted <laughs> on there. Obviously do those there. But the point of those being sculpted on there is, is they are, like, rather large. I think MCP is, like, if it was just, like, five millimeters bigger, than you wouldn't need to put the eyebrows on there. And if you it was like five millimeters smaller, it wouldn't even be a thought. You would never even right, put the eyebrows right. on there. But it's just at this like very narrow window where it's like, do I need to put the eyebrows on there or not? Yeah. Um and and I I've decided no uh, half of this is a personal taste. Half of it is kind of what we've we've gone through. But um yeah, interesting. Anti eyebrow. We can we can now eyebrow have this. Hater.
1: We can now have this as like a topic. So anytime we like interview somebody, we could be like eyebrows or, or an- no eyebrows, and then figure <laughs> yeah. out who's gonna be on what side of the end of the hobby versus civil war.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll recruit for each side, and uh, you know my side of of truth and justice will will of course win. The anti eyebrow eyebrow camp.
1: <laughs> keep keep telling yourself that. Yeah. I'm all, I'm this right. this always coming plays. from the person who didn't put who didn't put their goatee on their doctor Strange. right I, i'm freely
0: I'm admitting say. that i'm freely admitting that that was a that was a personal failure uh-huh
1: yeah truth yeah. truth, uh, truth justice right truth of justice yeah. yeah uh-huh big big words, well, well, big words. Not, not
0: on the beards not on the beards <laughs> only for the eyebrows
1: whatever you got to tell yourself
0: yeah I was, I was a young man a year ago when I painted this Doctor Strange. <laughs> I, I was young and foolish and brash. I, I, I couldn't... Uh, I can't be beholden to the mistakes I made of my youth, you know? The
1: ravages of time that a year make. <laughs>
0: <laughs> have steeled me into a, uh, you know, a much more... Uh, it's getting away from me. <laughs> <laughs> the mistakes of youth, you know? Yes, indeed. That, that's, that's what I'll chalk and it up And may
1: we continue to make them.
0: <laughs> all right, we're we're off the rails here, so I'm I'm going to wrap us up here. Unless you have any any last minute uh, no no I thoughts think thoughts on, on these two models. I
1: I look forward to doing repaints <laughs> on these two. That's all I'll say. I a lot of lot of regrets with these two models, and a lot more justice that can be done to them. So take your time, put put thought into it, and do these models justice, please, to to avenge me. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, uh, with that, we're we're wrapping it up here, uh, dragging us out of this episode. Uh, if you are listening, you know for the first time and um, are confused about what pictures we're talking about, we have a thread in our Discord where we, you know, post all the pictures that we're referencing, and you can kind of go in there and take a look. Um, you know, the link to that will be in the show notes. The Discord is also, you know. Where a lot of conversations of these podcasts continue, and you know, new conversations happen. So there's um, a lot happening in the Discord. There's two cha- two channels to just show off what you've been working on, and uh, you know, another channel to look for CNC on anything specific or just general about you know a project you're trying to take to the next level to build your skills. So lot lot going on in there. Um, If you want to follow me on Instagram, I am waxy underscore sandwich,
1: and I am Moriartist7. The
0: links to those will also be in the show notes, and uh, you have a blog that will be linked in there.
1: Yes, indeed, Uh, Moriartistminis.wordpress.com.
0: All right, awesome. So, thanks for listening to us. Uh, We will chat with you next time. Keep
1: painting, guys.